Nostrum, the high school debate soap opera, where deontology is more than just an idea, it's a rebuttal, by Jules O'Shaughnessy and the Nostromite, narrated by Jim Menick, Series 3, Episode 5, a.k.a. Willie Hubjut. They are supposed to be listening to one of the students analyzing feminist themes in the mature works of Charles Dickens. But this is roughly akin to describing fly fishing in the Sahara, and the young woman leading the discussion is mostly reading aloud from her notes, a painful droning in aid of a paper the woman is preparing that has to be the most hackneyed thing Dirth Hannon has heard since the last person who droned aloud from notes, that one on the hidden themes of sexual perversity in Jane Austen. Damned well hidden, was Dirth's conclusion at the end of the session. The problem with advanced literature studies is that every reasonable book has been done to death and is either being done again, rendering it into academic zombiehood, or being so heartily avoided that the results, concentration on books that should have been burned before the authors shipped them off to the printer, are for the most part excruciating. Dirth, whose thesis is on revisionist conceptions of Jane Eyre in popular entertainment, doesn't consider herself much better but at least she has the satisfaction of working on both a female author and a strong female character as a starting point, and she gets to watch everyone from Orson Welles to Charlton Heston as Rochester, and enough plain Janes to make her head spin, if only someone would lock her in a room when she finally goes insane. Her phone vibrates silently with a text message. Ularasa has arrived at the airport. She texts back that she'll have someone out there within half an hour, and then she texts her assistant, Ditsier Bilgefont, to get the job done. Are you with us, Miss Hannon? The professor asks, looking pointedly at the phone in her hand. She quickly stuffs it back into her pocket. Sorry, she says, and with a silent sigh goes back to pretending to ponder Lady Deadlock as metaphor for the oppressor as oppressed, or maybe it's the oppressed as oppressor, or something like that. It's academic criticism. It's not about what the words mean per se, but how execrably one's prose can torture them into meaning both anything and nothing. It's an art. Ularasa is just about here, the legendary tab guru. Maybe he can succeed where everyone else has thrown their hands up in disgust and walked away, never to return again. Tab Ularasa finds the up-up-and-away tavern with the instinctive skills of a Columba Livia Domestica, more commonly known as the Homing Pigeon. It is not clear whether Ularasa can smell the tapped keg from a hundred yards away, or whether he is drawn by the magnetic pull of the earth abetted by the organic chemistry of single malt scotch, but in either case he is barely off the plane and on the other side of the security gates when he adjusts himself on the bar stool and orders a Bloody Mary. It is a few minutes short of noon, hence a morning drink is called for. The sun is not quite over the yardarm, at which point any beverage would do. The norms must be acknowledged. Larossa is a traditionalist, after all. At his age, which he is happy to pinpoint simply as Medicare eligible, traditionalism seems the way to go. He has texted Miss Hannon and announced that he has arrived, and he has nothing to do now but to wait. All his belongings are in his carry-on bag, which nowadays he has at the ready virtually every weekend. Tournaments near and far might call him at any time. 
He keeps a neatly packed bag near the door of his apartment with enough clothes, toiletries, electronics, and Lipitor to get him through up to four days at a stretch at a moment's notice. Not having to think about it means that it's always ready to go and he never forgets an essential. He's been doing this for a couple of decades now, and he has it down to a science. When his drink arrives after the requisite sip and the predictable disappointment, what mixological magic does one expect at the Codswallop Pseudo International Airport, after all? He pulls his iPhone out of his breast pocket and starts rambling through Facebook. The number one story, as it affects his so-called friends, is that of a woman in Duluth attempting to smuggle onto a flight to Chicago a vial of Evening in Paris perfume given to her by her granddaughter as a 90th birthday present. The vial, containing 103 milliliters of liquid, 3 milliliters over the permitted quantity, was about to be confiscated by a TSA official when the grandmother screamed, Stop thief! and ran into the terminal in her bare feet and without a belt before anyone could stop her, disappearing within moments on the wrong side of the security line. All flights in and out of Duluth had been immediately canceled until this dangerous terrorist villain could be apprehended. The Duluth authorities thought this reflected well on their emergency preparedness. Tab Ularasa thought it made them look like dropouts from the local clown college. But whichever opinion one held, this much was certain. Closing down an airport in the USA, any airport in the USA, has a domino effect on every other airport in the USA and beyond, which Ularasa could now read in the updated postings on Facebook. Every single person he knew who was on the road to Conswallop in the COC via air was delayed indefinitely. Some of them blamed their airline. Delta is the absolute worst. Or JetBlue is the absolute worst. Or United is the absolute worst. In all these cases, correspondents swore they would never fly said airline again, which is exactly what they swore the last time their flights got delayed by those exact same airlines. One or two people were perceptive enough to track down the source of the problem to a poor old woman who simply wanted to keep the humble gift presented to her by her only granddaughter. In those cases, they cursed grandma with a vitriol even Adolf Hitler would have shuddered at. Tab Ulrasa, on the other hand, already in Codswallop, with a vodka beverage, however bland, in hand, simply closes his eyes and relishes the schadenfreude of the thing. Having arrived is so much better than being on one's way. He looks at his watch. Hannon had told him about half an hour. He still has plenty of time to wait, and why not enjoy another Bloody Mary? All right. Enjoy might not be the operative word. Order another Bloody Mary. That was good enough. He catches the bartender's eye and points at his glass, sending a clear message down the length of the bar. Two minutes later, a fresh glass is in front of him. To the COC, Ularasa salutes quietly, raising his glass, and the grandmothers of the world wherever they are. Ularasa mindlessly continues scrolling through Facebook. The airways really do seem to be getting into a mess of delays. He is connected to almost everyone heading to Codswallop, and they are all complaining one way or the other. They will get here eventually, they always do, but they will not be happy when they arrive. Most are not precisely headed for Codswallop. The pseudo-international airport only has about four flights a day from anywhere further away than the next county over. Now, the usual route to Codswallop is via Cincinnati, or one of the more major Kentucky airports. Rental cars, or more likely vans, are picked up at various metropolitan locations and pointed in this direction. 
A couple of schools even take school buses, 12- or 14-hour trips, or even longer, from states that Ularasa has only read about in fantasy novels, making journeys that challenge the physical limits of the human body. These are not the folks who are posting. These elemental travelers are between cell towers, and will remain so until they get about three states away. As he scrolls, Ularasa is surprised to see a free Willie posting. It's been a while since Willie Hubjut's smiling yearbook photo face has seen the light of social media day. Good old Willie. Ularasa smiles. He has a history with the Hubjuts. In fact, it's probably entirely due to him that Willie Hubjut isn't on his way to Codswallop to represent Oshkosh Aggie High School. Unbeknownst, of course, to Oshkosh Aggie High School. It began back at the Pepperoni, one of the first big tournaments on the national circuit. It was just a matter of following procedure. In the past, almost every tournament Ularasa worked seemed to have a number of people sneaking in under dubious pretenses. There were all these lone wolf mavericks out there, traveling around the country in the hunt for COC qualifications, not only seemingly without the knowledge of their schools, but often with no adult supervision whatsoever. They would hop onto a plane and turn up at a circuit tournament. They'd debate. Maybe they'd take a COC limb or maybe not. And a week later, they would turn up halfway across the country at the next circuit tournament and try again. The lure of the circuit and the COC was driving people to incredible extremes. If free-floating mavericks were just a matter of theoretical supposition, Ularasa would argue against them, but he wouldn't care all that much about it. But in the real world, students turning up unchaperoned, often under false pretenses, posed a threat to him personally. As one of the people in charge of a tournament, when that loose cannon kid fell off the balcony and broke his coconut, the parents would be suing everybody in sight, and Tab Ularasa would be as much in sight as anyone else at the tournament. Ularasa needed a lawsuit like he needed the proverbial hole in the head. So as a matter of policy, he double-checked any entry that seemed even marginally suspicious. An entry at the Pepperoni for a single student from Oshkosh Aggie was suspicious enough. That the person making the entry and the name of the entry were identical turned the suspicion level up a couple of notches. And when Ularasa went online and found the name of the coach at Oshkosh, which did at least have a debate team, and then emailed that coach to learn that Oshkosh wasn't sending any students to the pup, the game was afoot. Ularasa supplied the information to the coach about Hubjet's entry, and that theoretically was the end of that. The next thing Ularasa heard, Hubjet was suspended from the Oshkosh Aggie High School debate team. Conduct unbecoming an OK Aggie. A few days later, a student named Willie Hubjut from a high school in Seattle registered for the Pepperoni Tournament. Space Needle High School W.L. was not entered by someone named W.L. He was registered by someone named Maria Mavron. When the Internet demonstrated categorically that there was no such school as Space Needle, Ularasa erased the entry. The game was even more afoot. It was both feet at a run. Over the next two weeks, a new pepperoni entry appeared on an almost daily basis with a different affiliation, and often a different student name. What didn't change was the name Maria Mavron as the registrant. The woman obviously got around. The end game came when Mama Hubjut, using her maiden name, entered a homeschooled student named W. George Mavron. For the first time, she added a judge to the registration, a college kid Ularasa knew from California. Once again, Ularasa vetoed the entry. This time, Mama Hubjut wrote the university a strident email, 
claiming she had already paid for the plane tickets for both W. George and the college student, and had therefore invested a great deal of money in W. George's attendance, and therefore the university was, in effect, stealing money from her by not letting in her entry. The university's lawyers, needless to say, had a great laugh over the idea that, since Mama had now spent money in perpetrating her fraud, they were somehow obligated to finally accept her little criminal in training. Willie Hubjut, along with W. George Mavron and about a dozen other aliases, never did attend the Pepperoni. Not only that, Tab Ularasa, who was connected to almost every tab room in the country, passed the word around to be on the lookout for this particular freebooter extraordinaire. It wasn't so much that he wanted to bar the Hubjuts from the forensics universe as he couldn't wait to see what they were going to pull next. The Hubjuts were tireless, and before the season ended, young Willie had only managed to gain entry to two tournaments. One, run by the Brotherly Love School for Highly Intelligent Teenagers, a.k.a. the BLSHIT tournament, was an issue all of its own, but in any case, Willie came close to, but did not win a qualification. The other tournament in Bug Tussle, Oklahoma, the Bucklusky Bonanza event, was so remote that it was one of the few outside of Ularasa's personal range, and that is where Willie managed to actually win a tournament for the first time in his life, thus acquiring a single COC qualification. But alas, it takes two quals to tango, and Willie only had one. And so the campaign began. Young Willie Hubjut, who had been tossed off his school's debate team and spent the rest of the season attempting to debate by pretending to be from somebody else's debate team, made the claim that, essentially, he was a victim of a debate cabal that wanted to keep young stars like himself from overturning the status quo. Why should high school debate only be for high schools? Didn't students have an innate right to debate? The right to debate, or RTD, became a cause celeb, and Willie Hubjut became its standard bearer. He went on Facebook, created the Free Willy page, freeing Willie Hubjut from the tyranny of big debate, and got a whole bunch of likes. Most of those were from students who believed everything Willie told them. A few of them were from people who had liked everything from take a serial killer to lunch day to bring back Nixon by any means possible since an undead president, it was claimed, would be better than the one we have. The COC advisory board remained unmoved, and Willie Hubjut's bid for an at-large slot at the tournament was not accepted. Willie Hubjut hadn't been heard from since, although Tabu Larasa wouldn't be surprised to see him on the picket line later in the day. Anything is possible at the Combat of Conquerors. Larasa signals the waiter again. There is time for one more Bloody Mary before noon, at which point he can switch to the real liquor. Larasa was born to Tab. Hell, they even named the activity after him. Plus, he is in a bar, and the day is still young. Life is good. Welcome to the Bahamas. Will Dirth Hannah jump off the roof of Thornfield? Will Ularas's drinks improve when the sun is over the yardarm? What's a yardarm? Is there an inherent right to debate? If there is an inherent right to debate, has Donald Trump ever heard of it? Will Willie ever be free? We don't know, and doubt if anyone will care in our next episode, Evening in Paris, or When was the last time you had a bath, lady?